Jonah chapter one. These little minor prophets uh, move quickly as we're going through the Bible, but they're small but mighty as we learned on Sunday. Some of you, if you're coming only on Wednesday, you're, what, what happened to Obadiah? Uh, well, we took that on Sunday and uh, did those 21 verses of that small but mighty book. And so uh, covered that ground on the weekend and now we're in the book of Jonah. We have here a story of a man who was called by God to ministry. And it's an interesting, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing because God had a purpose and a plan for, for Jonah. But um, it reminds me, maybe some of you are old enough to remember, uh, remember when Christians, you know, especially the prosperity uh, teachers of the, you know, TV, you know, evangelists, televangelists, um, you know, it wasn't just them, but I think it's part of the four spiritual laws. There was kind of a, a whole thing where people would walk up, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Um, but it, it, the, the pastors that said it, there was a certain way, God, you have to kind of swoop when you say God, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it kind of almost became sort of used car salesman a little bit. If you were around in those times uh, growing up and it just kind of seemed a little bit weird. Um, but the problem is sometimes God's plan, it, we know, you know that, that statement is true. But what they leave out, if you walk up to some guy in the street and says, do you know that God loves you? He has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, the problem with that is that wonderful plan might include being swallowed by a big fish. Um, and it's because of things you do wrong and go in the wrong direction. And, and there's, there's troubles uh, that, that the Christian has. And even if you're doing the right thing, which Jesus did everything right, didn't he? But man, uh, Jesus went through all kinds of, you know, trouble, persecution, uh, whipping, hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of the world. And, and, um, and we know, you know, when Jesus was baptized, here's the Lord saying, this is my beloved son. Like the Lord loved Jesus, his son, and yet he still suffered. So, you know, sometimes we think that's a cheesy old saying. And, and I think it's become that over the years. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And people are like, yeah, right. Uh, what if I get in trouble or persecuted? And the Bible even talks about how you can end up being persecuted or going through trouble or difficulties. Um, one thing we have to be careful when we sell the gospel message, because that's what we're called to do is preach it. But we also have to be careful not to sell it wrongly. Hey, if you become a Christian, everything in your life's gonna go smoothly and roses and petunias and everything's gonna be wonderful. No, that's not always the truth. Um, but as it turns out, you know, we're a work in progress. You, you guys here, we've talked about this a bunch of times here at Athey. Um, Ephesians 2.10, you know, the, 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 the Paul the Apostle says, um, man, we're, we're his workmanship. In fact, that word workmanship, for we are, Ephesians 2.10, his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which he hath, God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That, that word workmanship, well, it, it's, it's a work of art or the, the Greek word as you've seen, poema, where we get our word poem. Um, we're, we're sort of a, a work in progress and the Lord is, it, it's in progress. It's not something he's done. Once you become a Christian, you just stop being God's workmanship. Um, no, it, it's gonna be a, a work in progress, a work from the creator. And so there's this, um, this life progress that, yeah, it's a wonderful plan and God's got wonderful things for you in store, future. If you're a Christian, heaven's in your future. So yes, it's a wonderful plan. But at the same time, when you're making a, a, you know, like in the Bible times, remember Jeremiah 18, where Jeremiah said, we're like 
clay in the potter's hand and the potter squishes the clay and run, spins it round and round. And, um, and you think, well, I don't wanna be spun around and around and feel the heat of the kiln and the pressure of life. What if I don't want that? But the Lord's saying, I'm the potter and I can do whatever I want to with the clay. But it's a work of art. It's part of this workmanship that God's doing. Um, I love Paul when he talked to the Philippians, when he said about life, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was the guy who, when God said, I want you to go, Paul would go with a, with a vigor, um, with a zeal and an excitement. Paul, Paul's an example of the one who pressed forward and, and got excited and um, was, was glad when God gave him a calling. Now, one thing Paul did do, if you remember, is he really, really wanted to be the minister to the Jews but God said, no, Paul, you're gonna be the minister to the Gentiles. But Lord, I'm qualified to be a minister to the Jews. I was schooled by Gamaliel the, the, you know, the, from the Sanhedrin. I, 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 was, I was you know, dialed in for the Jews, but the Lord said, nope, Gentiles, that's gonna be your calling. So even though Paul was zealous toward the things of God, he sometimes needed to be kind of redirected and stuff like that. But, but what happens when the Lord calls you uh, to what he has for you? Are you more of a, a Paul who jumps to it? Um, you see, uh, we're, we're created for a purpose, each one of us, and there's a prize at the end, Paul says. Um, I, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a prize that's coming. And the problem is um, some people seem to sort of blow that off. Well, we have the perfect example of that here in the book of Jonah. Um, and we're gonna read this story uh, and uh, start it at least tonight and uh, talk about uh, this, this reluctant uh, prophet, this, this guy that the Lord gives a very clear calling, but uh, Jonah, well, let's read verse one of chapter one of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. There's so much here, just in the first couple of verses. First of all, um, you know, let's talk about this. Jonah, his name means dove, interestingly enough. And um, I'm not sure how that's gonna apply to this story, uh, but uh, you'll, you can watch as we read this. His father, Amittai, uh, it, it, it means true or my truth. Um, that's, that's interesting. Jonah is gonna declare truth. Um, is he gonna be as wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove? Not really. Um, so his namesake is an interesting one to me, uh, the dove, Jonah, uh, does he really fulfill that? But um, the word that God uses here is an interesting word in verse two, arise, arise. It's, it's interesting, it's an excitement arise. It's an ambitious arise. The Hebrew word for this um, doesn't just mean stand up, but it means to, to rise with ambition, anticipation, expectation. Um, maybe some of you, you know, you have a pet, like our, our you know, my, my poor dog, Charlie, went home to be with the Lord uh, uh, a few months back, uh, but, but don't worry, we have a new dog. Uh, in fact, uh, um, we gave Charlie company when he was getting in his elderly years, uh, and we got a little uh, dog named um, Winnie, or uh, Winifred is what I call him, uh, um, but he, uh, Debbie named him after Winston Churchill. It's a long story, but um, he's a white golden, and, and he's a peppy little puppy, but man, you know what I love about Winnie is when you grab his little leash, um, and, and he sees it. Oh my, he just starts getting all excited, because he knows 
it's time to go. We're gonna go for a walk. And he jumps and spins and you know, uh, we forgot how peppy a puppy is compared to old Charlie who was nearing 14 years old as a big golden retriever. Uh, Winnie, he's got some energy. Uh, and it's great and I love it. And when I, when I see this word arise, this is the word God employs speaking of Jonah saying, arise, it's time to spring into action and let's get going and ambition, anticipation, expectation. Uh, the, the Hebrew word quim uh, or kum, to rise to, and, and to abide to accomplish. Interesting word, it's full of meaning, but it's a positive let's go kind of thing. Um, but Jonah, um, we're gonna see his response to this peppy word arise um, and, and, and we have to understand maybe some of the reasons why he, um, he you know, wants to not go. Uh, we'll see this. Now, there's three, three main things we see here um, in verses one and two. We see, first of all, the call, then we see the, the crime, and then we see the cry. Uh, the first thing is the call, and, um, and we see that, um, that he's called to arise. Now, um, Interesting, he lived uh, two miles outside of Nazareth, uh, Jonah did. Nazareth, if you've been to Israel with us, we usually drive by Nazareth, or sometimes we drive through Nazareth, depending on how much time we have. But um, it's on our way to uh, the Galilee region there, um, and it's a little tiny little town on a hillside. Um, and so we know that he's from that area. Uh, in fact, we learned that from 2 Kings 14, 25, you know, that speaking of Jonah, uh, the son of Amittai the prophet, which was uh, of uh, Gath-hefer is what it says there in Second uh, Kings 14.25. So we know exactly where he's from. Um, and he's, he's called to rise up from that place. But interesting, uh, he's, he's not living in Joppa. That's something that people, people think, oh, he lived in Joppa. But no, that's where he went. Uh, we'll show you that in a second. So the call was to arise and let's get going from your place where you live. The, the second part of this is we see the crime, and that is um, the Lord sees, it says here in our text, the wickedness that has come up before me. Again, we've talked about how the Lord sees um, all what's going on there in Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian people, um, which is today in modern day Iraq. Um, but the ancient Assyrians go down in history as truly one of the most brutal people of all ancient people. Um, and you know, if you're a history buff, you know there's some brutal people that have lived throughout the ages, whether you wanna talk about Genghis Khan or, or some of the way that some of these battles were fought in ancient times. I mean, there was some real trouble. But the Assyrians might go down as the most brutal people and it's at this peak of their brutality, the Lord says, I see their wickedness. Um, by the way, uh, Biblical Archeological Society did a whole uh, work on the grisly Assyrian uh, record of torture and death. Um, and it's kind of a brutal uh, document by Erica uh, Beldebtru. Um, but let me just read one little excerpt. I, 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 I didn't choose the grossest, uh, just for you queasy people. Um, but this is just some of the things, uh, archeological discoveries and writings and cylinders and all the things that they found uh, talk about the people of Nineveh. Um, they say the Assyrians were famous for their brutality. Archaeological discoveries show the heinous, barbarous treatment inflicted on prisoners of war, as well as some of its citizens, they were gruesome. Some would have their arm and legs spread out, uh, staked on burning sand. Some would have their eyelids cut off and were made to stare at the sun until blind. 
Others were skinned alive and their skin wrapped around building pillars to dry out for drums and furniture upholstery. Eyes were gouged out, ears were cut off, legs and hands and other extremities were chopped off and many had their tongues torn out by their roots. Like this is just one of the hundreds of descriptions of horrible things that um, the Assyrian people would do. And their enemies, like uh, just um, the stories go on and on. If, if anybody even slightly rebelled or rose up and said, we're not gonna go for the Assyrian way, then they'd take the leaders out in front of their people and skin them alive and fly them as flags in the city. Like it was just a horrible, horrible group. You gotta understand this because how would you like the Lord to call you? Hey, Athey Creeker. I want you to go to Nineveh. Like um, if you, there's just no place equivalent of that today. Um, there's no way place where you think, man, I could get skinned alive if I go uh, to this place. Um, you know, this, this was almost a done deal. If you're Jonah, you're thinking, uh, you want me to go where? Nineveh? That's like the worst place on the planet I could ever imagine going. Um, brutal people, uh, godless people, um, but a powerful people. Um, so this isn't really the place you and I wanna go visit or go on vacation. If you're Jonah, he, he's, he's like, uh, I don't know about this. So you've got the call to go to uh, arise and, um, and the crime, well, that's uh, the Ninevites were wicked and the Lord saw their wickedness. But that then brings us to the cry, Jonah's uh, message that he was supposed to bring. Um, you know, he was gonna go preach. He was supposed to go uh, and preach. Um, it says there, and cry against it. What would Jonah's cry be? If we fast forward and read in Jonah chapter uh, three, at the end, we, we hear what his cry is. It's eight words. His whole message was eight words. Um, it's this, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his whole message. You know, the book of Obadiah, we heard the whole message of Obadiah in the book of Obadiah. And, and you know, it was like a, a really solid message. The book of Jonah or the prophet Jonah doesn't really get a book of his message because his message had eight words. Um, that's all he's gonna say right here. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The end, not even repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or be saved or uh, follow the God of Jonah. Nope, just the simple powerful cry. And that's what the Lord calls him to do. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So that's, that's the cry that Jonah's gonna make. Only eight words. Sometimes I wonder if uh, some preaching, the Lord actually wants us to speak less. Um, you know, I think uh, there's an old saying, Christians should be seen and not heard. Not always true because the Bible says, you know, that we're supposed to go out and preach the gospel. But um, sometimes I think we use too many words to try to explain away everything when really a simple, powerful message might be just what the Lord you know, desires. That's the case with Jonah. Eight words would be his cry. Um, and uh, he, ends up, um, he ends up with a very simple message. And we'll see its results here in a, in a, in a uh, next week probably. Well, verse three, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Interesting. What does Jonah do? God says go and Jonah says no. And I've found that oftentimes you're one of these two kinds of people when God has put a calling on your life and the question is, do you just say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me, like Isaiah the prophet, 
Or are you more of a Jonah? God says go and you say, I don't wanna do that. Um, and and what, what forces us to kind of start thinking about this is why does Jonah so boldly just say, um, no, God says go. Uh, he, he doesn't even argue. He just, he just turns and goes the opposite direction. Um, you know, it's interesting. We ask the question, why did Jonah disobey God on this? Um, some of this is speculation, but there is one answer that I think is fairly certain. But let me just go through some of the possibilities. And the reason I wanna go through this, why did, you know, why did Jonah disobey God? Is because some of these might be our excuses. Um, maybe just number one, perhaps, Jonah just wanted to do something else. You know what, I'm really happy living near Nazareth in my little town. I don't wanna do something uncomfortable or weird. Uh, your call on my life, uh, maybe I just, I don't wanna do that. Could it be that the Lord's called you to do something that's a little out of your uh, you know, comfort zone or something that you uh, kind of don't even really want to do or think about doing? Um, I love it when I see people answer the call of God and even if it is uncomfortable, there's some, there's some people that have done that, um, you know, even in our congregation who've made big moves, you know, and started ministering and working. I love, I love all the ministries that come out of this church, not necessarily sanctioned activities that are uh, part of Athey Creek, but all the great ministries and work that people are doing outside of this, whether it's, you know, helping the homeless or trying to run for school board or political office or uh, going on the mission field, or helping with uh, you know um, you know pregnant un unwed mothers. Um, we've got people that are part of really amazing ministries, and that's that's what the church should be. Um, uh, you know, the, the church shouldn't I feel be the ones that organize. The church is the, the hospital where everybody comes, um, and this is this is where we get restored, refreshed, revived, um, and uh, encouraged. But then we're supposed to go out from this. Um, somewhere along the way, I think when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men to Peter, uh, the church thought that the fishing was happening here in the church building. No, this is the aquarium. Um, and you and I are supposed to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, and I think sometimes people get confused what the church's job is to do. The church's role is very, very clear as far as the, 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 the you know, structure of the church and what we're called to do, Acts chapter two, verse 42, you know, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, which was teaching, not necessarily helping the homeless. That wasn't their, their continued steadfastly in helping the homeless, nope. Um, but they continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, which is communion, prayer and fellowship, fellowship one with another. That's what the church was all about. And they did it um, in the greater temple with thousands of people. And they also did it from house to house in smaller groups. And that's what the church is called to do. Then the, those people that are involved with the church, they go out and do stuff and they're called to those things. And uh, <clears throat> I always find it interesting when people say, Brett, I think you guys need to start a group that does this. And I always like to say, why don't you start that? You're dubbed the official starter of that ministry because <laughs> the Lord's put that on your heart. Like, don't, don't wait for me or, well, Brett, what about the church resources? I'd like to have, um, it's funny, uh, you know, people think, well, the church should support it. Well, what happens with Athey Creek is if we see you start something and the Lord seems to bless it, we don't just assume that you're gonna be blessed in that. Um, you kind of look for fruit of that ministry and make sure that it's on the right track. And then that's when Athey Creek, we like to get behind ministries that really are doing really amazing work. And uh, sometimes you have to start something before um, things uh, really become a part of what the, the greater church is doing. Um, 
You know, like one of the things that we love to get behind at Athea is Samaritan's Purse. You, you see, we do a bunch of trips with Samaritan's Purse. We give to Samaritan's Purse. We do the Christmas boxes and stuff because um, we feel like that's an organization that's doing really great work. And um, they don't, they're not just about helping communities after Hurricane Katrina. They do that, but they're also about bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they go. And we're not into just fixing homes, but we're into fixing homes as long as we can also fix hearts and encourage people to be saved. And I love Samaritan's Purse for that. So there's all kinds of, uh, those kinds of ministries that Athey Creek, we do get behind and we send teams out and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty cool. That's the way it works. Uh, read your Bible, see what the church is supposed to do, but you'll find that that's kind of the way it, it should roll. Um, so the question is when God tells you to go and do something, don't wait for Pastor Brett to fully fund it for you. Um, sometimes God just says go, and instead of like Jonah saying no, Maybe you should do it. And you say, well, Brett, I'd rather just sit comfortably and let Athey Creek do all the hard work. Uh, I'm not really sure I wanna do that. Well, that, that could be one reason, just Jonah saying, I'm not into going to Nineveh. Nineveh, by the way, is about 500 and something miles um, northeast of where he lived. That's a little bit of a jog going to Nineveh through hostile territory. <laughs> um, so so uh, you can't really blame him on one hand, you know, when he says, no, I'm not going. And he doesn't even talk to the Lord, just goes the other way. Uh, I, I always think of a cartoon. Remember in the cartoons when a person runs, it's like they get up in the air, their legs go, and then pure, a little puff of air or whatever, of smoke. Um, that's Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh, pure, the other way. Uh, that's what he does. Um, so maybe it was, you know, he'd rather do something else. P perhaps he had more fear than faith. That's something I've seen in my own self or even in our lives when the Lord calls us to something. Sometimes it's the fear that can thwart um, the ministry that God's called you uh, to do. And, and, and you know, one of the things we have to remember is um, we have been given a very specific calling. Um, I, I like to remind you, speaking of, you know, Katrina disaster relief and, and the things churches do, that's all good, but, but that's not really what Jesus told us that we should be all about. Um, I, I feel like lately the Lord's been putting this on my heart to remind us a little bit over and over of this. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion, this is the great commission, Matthew 28. After Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, then he said this, and Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, amen. Well, but that's your job. You're supposed to preach the gospel and and I do, and I teach, uh, and we baptize people here at Athey Creek. So we do, we're doing this. But one of the mistakes congregants make is they think, well, that's the church's job. But not really, do you understand? There's places you can go that they'd never even let me in the door. Um, some of you have jobs where you work with people that are very far from knowing the Lord. And, and you've got a calling to, to, to preach the gospel and to share the word. But I wonder if maybe, uh, even though you might be called to preach, maybe like Jonah, is it fear that kind of drives you? That you kind of say, I'm not saying anything. Have you ever had that moment at work where that person sort of reaches out to you for some weird reason, they start talking about their marriage and their struggles in life and how they're lonely and, and you just sense the Lord's just saying, he's teed it up for you. Okay, here you go. Here's, here's a chance for you to just totally give the gospel message and your heart starts beating, and you're like, oh no. Um, and for whatever reason, you don't do it, why? Well, maybe it's the fear of man. 
Maybe you're afraid if you work at Intel that you'll, you talk about Jesus, you'll be fired because Intel's not super friendly toward you talking to somebody. But, but there's ways to do that. And you know, maybe after work, you say, hey, let's go get some coffee after work and let's talk about this. And, and, and then just share the gospel. What you need is Jesus Christ and the saving work from the cross and, and to not be afraid or, or, um, you know, um, or lacking in boldness. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we need some boldness in Christians today. And, and the world is saying, Christians, shut your mouths. We don't wanna hear what you have to say or we'll cancel you or whatever. But is that gonna drive our fear? Um, so I think sometimes it's more fear than faith. And that could be part of Jonah's problem, possibly. We're called to go and teach and preach. Um, but Jonah, he goes um, the opposite direction, complete change. Um, and, and it might've been fear. Um, let me show you a little bit about this. He goes to Joppa. Now Joppa is a place I took our group uh, a few years back. Um, they call it Jaffa in Israel today, but it's the same as Joppa to, uh, in the Bible. But it's this seaport village. Uh, it's kind of a really amazing little place, but this is where Jonah gets on his boat and goes and he finds a, a boat with a ticket. Uh, he gets a ticket, gets on the boat and he, and, you know, it's amazing that that day he just goes and finds, uh, there's a phrase in our text that says he found a boat um, there um, uh, and found a ship going to Tarshish. Oh, what a coincidence. Um, now, some of you might be saying, well, um, where's Tarshish? Well, first let's talk about Jaffa. Um, Jaffa or Joppa is this little town. And it's not far from the airport. When you land in Israel, you're only a few miles from Joppa. Um, and it's near Tel Aviv, not too far from Tel Aviv, but it's also where the house of Simon the Tanner was. You remember that story where Peter was on the roof, saw the sheet, rise Peter, kill and eat. And then he uh, was, the, Peter was the one who was gonna bring in the Gentiles into the church. And Peter goes from there north to Caesarea and Cornelius. It's a great story. But this is where, this is the town where Peter first gets the, the message that God's saying, this isn't just for Jews. This is uh, it's the house of Simon the Tanner right there. But he says, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. So this, this little town has a few biblical significant places, but one of the significance uh, of this uh, is that this is where you know, Jonah runs to. And, and this is quite a few miles from uh, Nazareth. So the first thing he goes is he leaves his town near Nazareth and, and probably walks down to Jaffa, which would be several days journey just to get here. But when he gets here, he finds out, hey, I got a ship, what a coincidence, and he pays for that ship. Now, if you look at a map of, of this, um, I, I, this cracks me up. Um, do you see the point here? God says, go to Nineveh. And then, uh, now, now some of you might say, well, so he goes the opposite direction. But do you understand this is the whole known world right here in this map? So in, in, in his mind, he's like, okay, I'm, Nineveh's on the one end of the world. I'm gonna go to the other end of the world. That was the, you know, they didn't know about North America. Columbus hadn't, Columbus hadn't said the ocean blue uh, yet. So this was the edge of the world. Tarshish is close to Gibraltar there in Spain. But, um, but this is where he, he's gonna go. He's gonna go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And, and there's something I wanna tell you about uh, that you as Christians need to understand is um, it's this open door thing that we talk about. And we know the Bible talks about how the Lord is able to open doors that no man can shut and he can shut doors that no man can open. We know that. But can I just suggest to you that Satan also opened doors? You have to be careful because just because it's an open door doesn't mean, I wonder if Jonah's like, what a coincidence, I found a ship that's going to the place I wanna go, Tarshish. And it just paid a fee and he's like on board, he's ready to go. 
Um, but this was, uh, you know, I believe when, when you're in rebellion against God, Satan's gonna be right there going, oh yeah, you wanna go to Tarshish? Yeah, I, got a, I got a ship for you right here. Jump on board, pay your fee and let's go. Um, what do you mean, Brett? Well, um, you know, if you're a, a woman whose husband's maybe not as sensitive as you like and you're struggling in your marriage, um, Satan's gonna open a door to some guy at work that's got a soft shoulder to cry on and he's, he's just emotionally tuned into you and, and somehow it just seems like so much better and at least he listens to me and he cares about me and all this stuff. And Satan will open that little door and even though it's the door of death and destruction and you might find yourself in a big fish someday. Uh, you gotta watch out for that. Uh, maybe you're a single person. I'm tired of being single. Um, but the, Satan will open the door and a really nice person that you think, oh, this, so they're not a Christian. I'll missionary date this person and they'll become a Christian at some point. Uh, maybe after we get married, then they'll come to Christ and accept Jesus. Uh, that's an open door that maybe Satan just opened right there for you. Watch out for open doors that like, like cause that's what Jonah gets. He gets this, I just think it's funny that he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the opposite end of the earth, right where he wanted to be away from God's calling. This map sort of cracks me up. That's why I wanted to show it. So why did Jonah disobey God? Number one, he would rather uh, maybe do something else. That's possibly a thing. Uh, number two, maybe he had more fear about the Ninevites skinning him alive than faith. Or maybe, number three, removing self from responsibility assumed he'd no longer be responsible. There's kind of this, what I would call sort of a denial. And I liken it to the little three-year-old who, when you're playing hide and go seek and the little three-year-old covers their eyes and says, you can't see me. Um, they haven't learned the lesson just because they can't see you doesn't mean that you can't see them. It's a life lesson. Some of you are still trying to figure that out. But, um, but yeah, uh, in a way, uh, we do that maybe with not our eyeballs, but with our responsibilities. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's like this. Um, maybe, you, you know, you're a dad and you um, got a girl pregnant when you were young and she, she gave birth to a child. But because you felt like you weren't ready to be a father, you bolted and you got rid of that responsibility. And out of sight, out of mind just because I left means I'm assuming I have no longer have responsibilities. Um, I, I wonder if, if some of us do that kind of stuff in our lives, thinking that by bolting, taking off and going the opposite direction, somehow we're sort of relieved of our duties. But actually, uh, that's not the way it works. And, and anybody who's lived a little bit of life, you know that that could actually end up in real sorrow, sadness, and despair. It's almost like Jonah saying, uh, man, if I can go further and further and further away from my responsibility to go to Nineveh, maybe God will just kind of forget. Uh, maybe I'll erase my responsibility there. But um, the Lord, he knows all that. You're not gonna be able to, you know, maybe uh, not just a um, you know, responsibility as a parent, maybe a responsibility in your, in your marriage. Um, you think if I could just remove my marriage, then I'm not responsible. Or if I can, you know, boy, this is, a, this is a tough one. When you see marriages that are suffering and then they, they sort of do this thing where they, um, and I talked about this uh, 14 years ago was I, when I was in Jonah, uh, this story, same, same lesson, um, but, uh, but how sometimes people think, well, we'll separate our living conditions as a married couple. Did you know the Bible actually doesn't really allow for that? Did you know that? Um, it does for, oh, and it gives a, a certain time period. Remember there um, when it says, you know, that husbands and wives are not supposed to, you know, defraud each other or be apart from each other, but they can separate for a season. 
Uh, and the season is actually defined, fun, this is funny to me, is um, uh, if, if for a season you can separate each other for the purpose of prayer and fasting. So as long as you can fast, you guys can agree to separate. How long can you fast? Some of the ladies like, three years. <laughs> I will become a skeleton before I have to move. Yeah, that's not the point. Um, but the thing is, um, the point is, you know, you're supposed to work on your marriage and the problem is, here's the problem, and this is what I've seen, I wonder why the Bible says you're not supposed to separate your living conditions, even if your marriage is in trouble. Now, don't get me wrong, um, I've said this a million times, I gotta say it again, because I always get people saying stupid things, but um, if you are a woman in a house where you're being physically abused, we believe you should get out of that house. And that's just biblical truth, you know, that for, for safety, for protection, you gotta get out of the house. Not saying divorce, but I am saying get out of the dangerous situation and, and have the church and have your friends and have people come around you and we'll help you. And that man needs to be helped, repentant, changed, transformed before we really think you should ever put yourself in that situation again. And, and that takes prayer and work and marriage counseling and all kinds of things. But um, so there are, there are circumstances like that that I would say are, are different sets of circumstances. But just because he leaves his socks on the ground, I'm sick of him leaving his socks on the floor. Or, or maybe, you know, the guy's saying, well, I'm sick of her nagging me all the time. And so, so you say, I'm, we're separating. And you know what is amazing? Wherever you go, you, you know what? His socks are not gonna be on the floor. And it starts, you know what? I like this. No more socks. And he's going, I like it too. No more nagging. And, and, and the couple just becomes more and more comfortable living apart and they're not working on their marriage. You know, it's, it's, it's been stated that marriage is, is like you're in a house and uh, you put dead bolts on the door, but the lock is on the outside. So when a fire breaks out in the house in marriage, rather than trying to beat your way out the door, the key is to get the fire out. And that's true. Um, wedlock was meant to be a padlock. I hope you understand that. Brad, you sound so negative about marriage. <laughs> no, the idea is committing to a person, even through thick and thin, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And, and that's what God has called people to do. But they say, oh, I'll be so much happier if I separate my living conditions. And they do this kind of for indefinite amounts of time. And pretty soon it becomes pretty easy and pretty nice being single again. But you kind of forget that you're miserable and you're out of obedience with God and you're not going the direction God has called you to, to go. And you're like, well, it's better than you know, being yelled at or better than you know, be, you know, being chided every day about my socks on the floor or whatever. Be careful, Christians. Be biblical when it comes to things like this. I, I wonder if sometimes we remove ourselves from a, a marriage because we, we feel like if we're out of that, we're no longer responsible for fixing the marriage. Be careful. I, I wonder if that's what Jonah's doing. God says, I want you to go over here. And Jonah goes as far the other direction as he possibly can. Um, fourth reason, maybe he could care less about the Ninevites. Now you might say, Brad, I don't know. Is what you've told us about the Ninevites, I think it's more the, you know, maybe number two. Maybe he's afraid of the Ninevites. But as it turns out, number four might just be the, the, the truth. More than any of the other ones I just mentioned, I'll tell you why. Because do you remember, uh, as we're gonna see uh, here, as we get through this book a little further, um, Jonah was, did not want them to repent. It's so funny. It's like Jonah's saying, um, man, I, you, know, you, can, uh, you can send me, Lord, but I'm not, I don't wanna say this because I know people will repent and be saved and I just don't want that to happen. It's almost like Jonah 
might just be one of the biblical racists in the Bible. Uh, maybe you heard about Whoopi Goldberg thinking that the Holocaust was not about racism. And so she's on administrative leave or whatever off the view. I know you're all really crushed um, <laughs> by that possibility that she might not be. She even threatened, I think, to not come back. Um, but, um, but uh, and she just made the mistake, the difference between racism and, and color of skin and it's kind of a embarrassing mistake that she had made. But, but you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, um, Jonah absolutely hated these Ninevites. Now you might say, well, Brett, they were horrible people. It sounds like talking about skinning people alive. So he had a right to hate them. But isn't it interesting that the Lord actually cares about the Ninevites so much that he raises up a prophet just for them. That, that humbles me, that sobers me up. I wonder, you know, are there people groups that we kind of say, well, they've kind of made their own bed and so they're sleeping in it. What about, what about Islam? We talk a lot about Islam because, you know, our, our culture and our, you know, United States, we're sort of acting like Islam's this wonderful religion. And I'm still gonna say it's not. It's, it's, a fa it's a false religion. It's not a peace loving, wonderful religion. It's a made up cult uh, that uh, is wacko. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, there's a difference between um, Islam, the religion, but then Islam, the people. I believe God loves them and wants them to be truly saved. And, and you know, the, the comparison between Christianity and Islam is so amazing. You know, Allah is this capricious God who cannot be figured out. And he might be in a good mood or a bad mood and good luck with that. That's kind of the Islam view. Um, we serve a God that can be known and is gracious and merciful and kind-hearted and compassionate and forgiving of sins. Um, you know, do we care about the Muslim? Do we care about sharing the gospel? I don't wanna offend them, but they're really convicted in their own religion. Well, their own religion is gonna lead them directly to hell, which is heartbreaking, and the Lord loves them. Um, it's interesting, by the way, around the world, the, there's some great revivals going on in Muslim countries, even Iran. Iran has an, a, 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 a revival of, and it's not within the leadership of Iran. They're the, you know, the, the um, imams and mullahs and all these people. Um, but the Iranian people, there's, there's a bunch of Christians and these people, by becoming a Christian, they're putting their life on the line. But the Lord's doing a work there. There's a work going on in Afghanistan and in Iraq. These Muslim nations were seeing Christians. People can become Christians. It's kind of an amazing thing. Um, and I love that Muslims can be saved and they are being saved. And there's people that are called to share the gospel around the Muslim world. That's an amazing thing to me. I love that. When we go to Israel, there's um, some really cool parts of Jerusalem where we know where there's pockets of Palestinian Christians and we'll go and talk to them. I've got a friend in the, um, the Muslim quarter of the uh, old city of Jerusalem. And when we go to the shop, we, I try to get as many people into the shop as we can and we'll talk to him because he's a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Palestinian. And, uh, and he has to be careful about that because it'll follow his Palestinian shop, but he's next to him, know that he's a, a, a Jesus you know, follower. Um, that puts him at real risk. But it's an amazing thing, you know, the, um, uh, it's, it's, you know, Islam means submission. That's what it means, submit to Allah. But I love how being a Christian, we, um, he, Jesus laid down his life for us. And, um, and that's the good news. So, so interesting, we see here, you know, he's called to go and he says no. And these are the main reasons I think he's disobeying, possibly. I don't know for sure. Number four is kind of a sure thing that he really had no heart for 
the uh, Ninevites. He said, whatever, I don't care about them. And I don't wanna go because if I speak my eight words that I'm supposed to speak, then they're all gonna repent. And he says, I don't want that. That's interesting. We'll see that in chapter three. Uh, but be that as it may, let's go on to verse three. Wow, we're flying now. <laughs> no, we already covered. Um, one, oh, one thing in verse three um, that I, I didn't mention, um, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. And notice what it says, from the presence of the Lord. And then at the end, it says, you know, he went down to it, to the ship, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. When you are going in the wrong direction of what God has for you, you're leaving kind of behind his presence in your life. Do you know that? Do you remember when I shared with you Matthew 28, the great commission, that just a few minutes ago, I shared you that scripture? Well, let me show you it again. But notice what it says at the end of that. When it says there in verse 20, you know, we're supposed to go into all nations, baptizing, teaching, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, it says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, amen. When is the Lord with you? Always, when you're doing what? Going into all the world, preaching the gospel. Um, at the end of Mark, it says, go and preach the gospel. But it also says at the end of Mark, man, when you go into the world and you're preaching the gospel, you could handle deadly serpents and you won't die. You, you might drink deadly poison and you won't die because I'm with you and I'll protect you as you're going. Now there's some goofy churches in the deep south that handle serpents in, in church um, because they think it says you can handle deadly snakes and, I, and you'll be fine. But they missed the context. That means when you're in, you know, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso and there's a snake that comes up, uh, you don't have to, the Lord will protect you from those snakes. Or, or like our missionaries in Vanuatu, there's snakes in there. Uh, and uh, the Lord protects us when we're in those things. We don't have boxes of snakes, uh, at least not at Athey Creek, you can be assured that we won't do that. Um, those, that's why those weirdo churches do that because they take Mark's scripture out of context. But I love it. Lo, I am with you always. One guy was fearful of flying. He was a Christian guy and his buddy said, man, you're a Christian. Why are you afraid of flying? You know, and, and um, well, he says, you know, it's Matthew's gospel, um, chapter uh, you know, 28, verse 20, the Lord says, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> Uh, no, L-O-W, no, L-O, uh, different. But anyway, uh, the Lord is with us always. And uh, I love that because when we're, when we're doing what God calls us to do, he goes with us, we're in his presence. But I find it interesting that two times the Lord reminds us when, pre when Jonah said no, and he did an about face and went the opposite direction, he was leaving the presence of the Lord. And the Bible makes a real point of that. I think that's important. Well, let's take a look at verse four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone up, uh, down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, what meanest thou, O sleeper, arise? Same Hebrew word there in verse two, arise. Now the shipmaster is saying the same thing to Jonah. Hey, get up, let's go, let's roll. Call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots 
and the lot fell upon Jonah. Um, don't you love how the Lord uses these weird practices of these people? Oh, you wanna cast lots? Okay, I'll make it work out. You wanna, okay, cast your lots. So, you know, I'll make that happen. It's like the Lord. Um, in, in our rebellion, God sends storms, saints, and sinners. Do you understand that? When you're rebelling against the Lord, don't be shocked. When God has a path for you and you're on a whole other path, God will send in your life storms, saints, and sinners. What do you mean, Brett? Well, did you notice it says here, but the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea. The storm came from God. Um, and sometimes God himself will, um, you know, will cause uh, things not to go perfectly in your life because he wants to wake you up and change your direction. Have you ever had a day where you just sense there's like everything's going in the opposite direction? Um, have, you know, have you ever been on the highway on the road? Like one day you can go out there and everybody's waving to each other and being kind and letting you go first. And, and then the next day people are flipping you off and cutting you off and, and mad at you. And uh, have you ever noticed that? Like it, there's, one day from another can be very different. And then that whole day, it's just like, why is everything going so badly today? You might want to say, Lord, am I on the wrong path today? Lord, are you sending the storm? Sometimes God himself will uh, uh, you know, send the red light. Why have I hit every red light today? And the Lord's saying, because I want you to stop and pray at each red light. It's time to seek my face. Uh, you're racing to your destination. Um, I wonder, does, does the Lord send red lights? I think he does. Um, but he also sends saints, other believers to come alongside of you and, and help you when you're in your bad rebellion. There's a pastor <clears throat> that I'm, uh, I know of uh, down in Southern California, a big church, uh, mega church, you know, big church, Bible teacher. Um, he had an old life of kind of the party animal thing. And, and before he was saved, he, he kind of was a wild dude. But, you know, he'd been pastoring for 25 years and he was kind of walking with the Lord. But he had this real moment where he was just down and depressed and sort of um, feeling low. And he, and he just got this urge to go and... Uh, and to get some Coors from the 7-Eleven. And he was a former raging alcoholic. He'd been sober for 20 something years. But he, but he went down to the 7-Eleven and he, and he bought the Coors, kind of looked around, hoping nobody would recognize him as the pastor. And he sat down in his car with the, the six pack on his lap. And he was thinking about, okay, I'm just gonna drink this right now. Well, right then, um, the pastor looked up and guess he was standing at his window? Greg Laurie, the pastor of Harvest, uh, the, 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 one of the biggest churches in Southern California. He says, hey, you know, and he says, what, 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 what are you doing here? You know, and, and the guy's like, oh, the Lord sends saints sometimes uh, to just remind you, don't do it, don't do it. And, and it was great before this guy had a chance to sort of blow his sobriety, um, the, the, this other, the Lord sent one of the other Christians to come alongside him. By the way, I love that about being a part of a big church. And, and you know, like um, as a pastor, more and more I'm seeing all of you guys all out and about. You know, I, I had breakfast this morning at Elmer's and we saw like three different tables there at Elmer's and Woodburn. Uh, it was great, of people that we knew. And it's like, awesome, I love that. Um, and, and then um, uh, I, I had a lunch appointment, you know, uh, up and down. It's all about restaurants, um, no. <laughs> Actually, I don't like restaurants, but, um, and uh, you know, you bump into more people, Athey Creekers. And you know, it's funny because I find it to be great to, to know, it's, it's like the saints are there. And um, it's, it's a little weird sometimes, I have to admit, Debbie and I will be walking through Fred Meyer and, and suddenly somebody's looking at, like, what's, what? And I'm not sure, like, what are you looking at? And then I realize, oh, they're what's Pastor Brett buying? Like, what's he doing? And, <laughs> um, and you, you don't come up and tell me, hey, I'm from Athey Creek. And, uh, but there's this kind of weird, kind of like, um, I'm learning to be good with that. Um, 
but come on up and say hi, that's better. Um, I might not uh, think you're a weird stalker or something. <laughs> Uh, but I love it. I love that there's a healthy pressure uh, as Athey Creek. You know, when we moved from Southern Oregon, we knew everybody down there, and we, we moved up to here, uh, we didn't know anybody. Uh, uh, and I love that um, there's saints all around. It's really cool, and that's a healthy, uh, you know, pressure to keep us all walking on the straight and narrow. Uh, we need that. So the Lord will send the storm, He'll send the saints, but He'll also send the sinners. Um, that's what we see here in our text. Um, the mariners, all these sailors on the ship, they, they go to Jonah and say, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Why are you sleeping here? Um, and, the, and, and the question is, how is Jonah fast asleep? Um, I, I, I think we're gonna get a sense that Jonah could care less about his life. In, in some ways, we're gonna see he'd rather die than to go and do what God called him to do and go to Nineveh. We'll see that as we go. So he's perfectly fine. So what, the ship's in peril. I'm just gonna sleep it off. And if the ship goes down, it goes down. Like he's got this sort of, you know, throw it all away kind of mentality, which happens when you're in rebellion against God. Sometimes you almost could care less for your life anymore. And I think that's what's going on here with Jonah. You'll see what I mean in a few minutes. But they say, rise up, call upon your God. Just like we called on our gods, they're saying, why don't you call on your, you should be helping us, you sleeper. Um, and don't you understand we're gonna perish? Now, some of you might be see, seeing a parallel here, don't you? Um, where Jesus was also in a storm sleeping uh, in a little boat with the disciples. What's the difference? Jonah was sleeping because I think he could care less. Um, Jesus was sleeping because he was at peace and was powerful. When they woke Jesus up, Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still, and the storm went away. Like it was a whole different story. Jesus was in obedience and calmed the storm. Jonah was in rebellion and uh, was in despair uh, because of the storm. So there's a very different kind of thing. It's interesting to compare the two. But they say, rise up, you know, seek your God. And then they said, let's cast lots to figure out which one of us is the guilty party. So um, it says in verse eight, then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for what, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is your occupation and whence comest thou? What is thy country and what people art thou? Man, it's like 40 questions here. Uh, who, what, when, where, why, how? They're, they're grilling, these mariners are grilling Jonah. What's going on with you and why did the lot get cast for you? And listen to his answer, verse nine, this is interesting. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now you can circle verse nine in your Bible and right next to that, uh, write, liar. <laughs> um, because question, if Jonah was really a God-fearing man, would he be there in that boat right now? No, he, he's almost in denial. Oh yeah, I'm a Jew uh, of the you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jehovah. Um, that's the word Lord there in verse nine. Um, I'm a Hebrew person. Um, which is interesting, you know, uh, the Hebrew has a covenantal relationship with the Lord. That's the, the, by definition, what the Jewish people were. And he's saying, I have a covenantal relationship with the Lord and I, and I fear the, the Jehovah, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Um, but this is interesting. He's kind of in a place of not really being honest with himself because he's not fearing the Lord. He was fearing Nineveh or fearing them getting saved. Verse 10, then were the men exceeding afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He said, man, I, I didn't go to Nineveh and I ran away and I'm fleeing from the, the presence of the Lord. Um, 
And, and it's interesting because here, you know, the Lord is, um, the Lord's got him. Um, you know, it, basically verse 10, you know, brings to light his rebellion. He's just rebelling, rebelling. And the people are like, why have you done this rebelling? Even the non-believers are like, you should have done what your God told you to do. It's almost like these, these sinner pagan guys that were the mariners of the ship. It's almost like they understood more what, they, what Jonah should have been doing than he did. Sometimes I think the world knows what you should do as a Christian more than Christians know what to do. Have you ever been called out by a secular worldling? Aren't you a Christian? Like, should you really be here? I've seen that before where Christians are like doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and the, and the world's like, I'm confused. Like, you're supposed to be a Christian. Uh, why are you here and why are you doing this stuff? Um, that's one of the most awkward places to be, by the way. If you're a Christian and you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing and the world sees it and knows it and they're confused by your behavior, that's one of the most brutal situations, like awkward, uncomfortable, but also destructive. Numbers um, 32, 23, you know, it's, it's like the Lord finds them out here. But it says in 32, 23, it says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. That's the situation that Jonah's in. His sin now is caught up with him. His running from God is caught up with him and happens every single time. Be sure of this. Your sin will find you out, the Bible says. There was a interesting story in the 1870s a British sailing ship around the Cape Horn in the 1870s. Um, and they were in this ice uh, of the ocean was very icy and it was kind of a problem. But there was a big mutiny uh, and Captain Frank Shaw, the captain of this large ship, um, th there was a big argument and the men of the ship were uh, going into mutiny against the captain. So what they did is they shot him in the head and threw him overboard and this, this guy's body, dead body, fell on a big iceberg. And they sailed off and went around the horn. But when they finally got back to London or, or whatever, England, um, they, they made up this story about how he'd fallen very, very sick and he died on the journey and had a burial at sea. And that was the whole cruise story. Um, and they made it really clear. There was a hearing and there was a you know, big investigation, but they ended up believing the story. Well, um, about 40 years later, there was a, a bunch of uh, guys going around the, the horn again and they found this big iceberg and, and they could see frozen deep into the ice, they could see a man's body. And I thought, that's weird. And you know, so they, uh, they found Captain America. No, they actually, <laughs> they actually chipped away and they, they found this, 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 the guy in British Navy uniform, you know, and uh, they realized that it was this captain and they saw a bullet hole in his head. They perfectly preserved there in the ice. And when they came back, they got all the men of that crew and hung them in London because of their mutiny. Uh, they thought they'd gotten away with it 40 years later. Um, be sure of this, Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. That's, that's the truth of the Bible. Well, this is Jonah, he's busted. These guys are like, what have you done? So verse 11, then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up, cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm to you. For I know that my, for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Um, this is an interesting thing for Jonah, isn't it? Isn't it kind of weird that Jonah's like, yeah, go ahead and just toss me overboard. Um, yep, it's my fault, throw me overboard. And, um, and, and again, this is where I think he would almost rather die than to say, Let, I'll tell you what, it is my fault. Turn the ship around, let's go the right direction and maybe the storm will calm. I would try that first if I cared about my life. Hey, let's try turning the ship around and then let's see what happens. 
But he doesn't even make, just throw me overboard. I'd ra- I think this is where we kind of see, you know, Jonah saying, I'd rather die. Well, notice what these, these men do. Um, I'd be saying, okay, see you later. And throw him over. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea rot and was tempestuous against them. Um, interesting, they didn't want to throw them over, but they couldn't turn the ship around. By, by that point, the storm was too strong. So verse 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish. Now, now notice, these are the secular guys beseeching the true and living God now. This is amazing. These pagan guys are saying, Lord, we beseech thee. Um, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for thou, O Lord, hast done, it, uh, done as it pleased thee. I mean, these guys suddenly sound like total believers. So verse 15, they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord, notice the word Lord there, Jehovah, exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Suddenly these guys, okay, we believe in you. The, the, the God of this guy we just threw overboard. Yeah, we believe in that God and they make sacrifice. Like this is a, these guys are, you might even say they're saved because they now believe in the true and living God. This is an amazing thing. Jonah's, like Jonah's a funny guy because people get saved everywhere he goes, but not because he's a good dude. Um, it's like he, people get saved because he's a complete idiot. Um, it's, it's a funny thing. We'll see that even later on in the story to an ex- exponential level. Um, so the, the, you know, the first souls in Jonah's ministry that were saved were these sailors, these, uh, these guys uh, that they cry out to God. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, do we become as Christians callous in our work? You know, you almost get a sense of callousness that Jonah's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care what God wants me to do. And I don't care about these sailors. Um, but you know, just, just keep me off of the, what God's telling me to do. Um, you know, I think we need to remember to see and learn to, to keep having passion for um, newness. Um, one thing I've seen in Christians is um, when you're first saved, there's an energy that you have. Remember when you were first saved, you were like the guy you know, in Jerusalem walking and leaping and praising God. You're like, man, the Lord is so good. But then you get old and crusty as a Christian. Are you an old crusty Christian? I kind of see Jonah that way. And, and I'll tell you when you see that you're a crusty Christian, here's a crusty Christian evidence. When you see someone on a Sunday morning raise their hand and say, I wanna accept Christ, you're like, oh, the old look up and see Pastor Brett and accept Christ routine. You're a crusty Christian if that's what you're thinking. What, well, they don't know the problems they're gonna have after, even when they're saved, they're still gonna be trouble. And, you know, the, well, and they're still gonna sin. Like, are you a crusty Christian? Uh, or, or somebody who's excited about something. Like, I read my Bible the other day, I read the story. And you say, what story? Well, there's a story about this guy, Jonah. And he, he, he's supposed to go to Tarsus. You're like, okay, Jonah and the big fish. I got the story, whatever. But the new believer's excited about it, but you're the crusty Christian. He's like, yeah, I've heard that story a thousand times. Are you gonna tell me about that story? I've heard the story, I know the story. You know, you'll know you're a crusty Christian when you don't rejoice with those who are rejoicing in things of the Lord. And man, you gotta peel back those calluses uh, in our walk and have a passion with the new believers and a reverence for the Lord. And you know, crusty Christians kind of say, ah, prayer, I don't know, we've prayed and uh, God's gonna do whatever he's gonna do. There's like this crusty callous kind of mindset. And we see that in this guy, Jonah, and we don't want any, any part of that. 
Um, now, now in the story of Jonah, um, what do we learn? You know, so far, um, you know, in First Corinthians ten, don't forget, it says now all these Old Testament stories. If you read the context of First Corinthians ten, these things happened unto them for examples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we're told that you know the types, and then it says these things are types. Remember, there in First Corinthians ten it says the rock that was smitten by Moses that followed them was Christ. Uh, there's types in these stories, but I want you to kind of see a few types that I see in this story that are kind of important. We see, you know, type number one, the ship, which is the world and the sailors that were the worldlings. The sailors are the people in the world. And then there's Jonah that sort of represents the believers. And um, as, as we as Christians, we're in the, are we in the same place as Jonah? You know, we, we're, we should learn from Jonah who was called to go and preach. And he said, no. And, and we have to ask that question. Has God told you to go? And you said, no, maybe the Lord said, I need you to get involved at Athey Creek. Uh, oh, Brett, does, uh, you know, Brett doesn't need any help. He just announced that they had you know, 1,300 volunteers at Athey Creek. Things are covered. Well, actually, we're not. We've got, you know, with thousands and thousands of people piling in every Sunday and Saturday night, we have more and more openings for Sunday school and parking lot ministry and coffee and uh, you know, security and uh, sound and lighting and even the cameras that are put, putting it out online. We, we need more and more help. And, and the Lord stirred your heart. You knew that you were called to go and volunteer at Athey, but you're like, no. God said, go. Athey Cricker said, no. Is that you? Um, by the way, uh, uh, I love our volunteers and there's a, there's a neat, I don't know how to explain it, but joy and energy around so many of our volunteers. I love just how so many people are just helping with so much. Um, and it's just the, the, the amount of work and ministry that's being done, making it conducive for people to come into this building on Sunday or Saturday night and receive the word of God. It's just such a cool thing. And you might think, well, I'm not doing the, the preaching the gospel, but indirectly you are just by serving and making it so people can come in and hear the good news. That's part of our Christian witness as part of that serving. Um, or maybe it's outside of the church that the Lord's called you and he said, go, and, and you're saying, no, don't be a Jonah. Um, you know, we see the type of the sailors there, you know, who are, um, you know, the people in the world. And, and it's oftentimes through our own struggles and even in our own rebellion, the Lord can use that to wake up a nation of people and, and save people. Um, but uh, the, the ship is a picture of the world. Don't be like a Jonah, be like a Jesus. As Jesus was sleeping in the boat, trusting in the Father, going the correct direction, don't be the Jonah who was sleeping to his own peril and just kind of in stagnant place. Great lessons. Now you say, okay, Brett, let's finish up this chapter. Well, actually, I know you all know the story, but I'm, we're gonna leave you hanging. What happened to Jonah? <laughs> and we'll find that out on Sunday or Saturday. We'll finish the chapter next, next time. <laughs> Lord, we are thankful. What a great story of the Old Testament. Um, it's interesting, Lord, how we've loved this story since so many of us were kids. We find it interesting the world hates this story um, because it's a powerful story of a miracle of something that happened and so much that many people in the world try to deny it even happened. Um, but Lord, as we consider that, even on this weekend about the validity of this book, I pray that, um, that Lord, our faith would be built for faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, of, your word that you've given to us. And Lord, for those who've been called to go, but have said for whatever reason, no to you, um, I pray that you just stir their hearts even tonight. Whoever's here in this building or watching online, Lord, don't let us be 
uh, the crusty Christians who are rebellious like Jonah. But help us to be full of faith, putting our trust in you, doing your will and your purpose for our lives. Help us to learn from this book, Lord, and go on the right path. Um, Lord, if there are those in this room that are walking the opposite direction right now, um, I pray that you'd just soften their heart, even if it's hard, even if it's scary or difficult, would you soften their heart and have them turn back around, Lord? Take, whether it's a storm or a saint or a sinner, send whoever you will, Lord, to put them back on course, we pray. So we bless you. We thank you for this passage we've looked at tonight. And we pray blessing on the rest of our study in Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen.